Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined again by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune. We're at U.S. Bank Stadium after the Vikings closed out the Packers 34-31 to off kicker Greg Joseph's game-winning field goal. And guys, they were able to win somehow, despite Aaron Rodgers throwing for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns. A big part of that being the way Justin Jefferson continues to play for this team. Uh, Jim, you wrote your column off Justin's day, and, and I guess what? how do you start when you're talking about just the, the amazing uh, play that this kid has given this team? Yeah, and I mean, first of all, what a game. You know, I mean, I mean Aaron Rodgers – he may be an idiot off the field, but man, he's an entertaining player. And it was just a great day to be a football writer and sit here and watch this game. But, you know, I wrote about Jefferson. I looked up a couple stats. He is ahead of Randy Moss's pace for catches and yards by a significant uh, gap over their first 26 NFL games. Now, Moss has them by a lot of touchdowns. He's Moss is such a, a touchdown machine his entire career. But, I mean, Justin Jefferson, even with all those games we watched them not throw him the ball, is on an incredible pace. And the other interesting thing is that – and I don't have all the numbers right in front of me, but he has basically doubled his production in games they've won versus the games they've lost. And, as you know, sometimes – Receiving stats can be really empty. Sometimes receivers end up with good numbers because their team's behind. They catch five and ten yard passes against soft defenses late in the game. Receiving stats don't always translate into winning stats. With Jefferson, they do. When this team throws Jefferson the ball, they win. When this team doesn't throw Jefferson the ball, they lose. And they need to remember that going forward because this is no longer Dalvin Cook running it 80 times in the middle of the lineup team. This is a get Jeff, Justin Jefferson the ball team. Boy, that, that sounds reminiscent of the Randy ratio, which I think Chip Scott has <laughs> wrote right. about a little bit this week. And it's interesting because I, I think, Jim, both you and I mentioned Randy Moss in the stories we wrote today. The, the thing that stuck out to me is we have seen this rivalry over the last 25 years or so take these big swings when both of these teams have had these dynamic weapons that the other one can't seem to stop. It was Brett Favre, and then the Vikings countered with Randy Moss, and then Adrian Peterson comes into the mix somewhere in there, and then it's Aaron Rodgers for a lot of these years. Now, I with I suppose we should pause and acknowledge the fact that Dalvin Cook had 200 yards and four touchdowns at Lambeau Field last year, but... This today felt to me like, and maybe it's because we see Rodgers about to exit stage left uh, with two middle fingers in the air towards Green Bay, and maybe it was because of how it all played out with Rodgers answering and this kind of back and forth, but this to me felt like the coronation of Justin Jefferson as the next player in this rivalry that the other team is terrified of. That The last touchdown that he had today I I watched it and I was like, how many times have we seen this with Randy Moss against this team? The the subtle little uh, extend the arm into the, the cornerback, but then contort yourself back for the ball where the corner basically has nothing they can do about it. That felt like a vintage Moss against the Packers touchdown. And a lot of the day was 
deep to Jefferson, kind of like deep to Moss. And they need to remember that. They need to build on that because it's awfully hard to stop when it's cousins to Jefferson like that. And that Jefferson touchdown that you're talking about was over a rookie first round or second round corner, Eric Stokes, the Packers had taken. Now it's not like they're drafting corners like they used to to try and stop Randy Moss because everybody has weapons like Justin Jefferson, it seems like nowadays, just prolific passing games need good corners to stop them. But you've got Green Bay trying to, to pile up on defense, trying to uh, hang its hat on the fact that they were the third-ranked defense coming into this game. And, they, Jim, they look nothing like it, at least to me, from what I could tell. I know they were without a lot of guys, including Rashawn Gary today, who had injured his elbow the week before. But um, it, it just seemed like any time they wanted to get Jefferson the ball, they could. Yeah, and he just – when he's open, he's open by so much. I mean, he's just wide open. Uh, he's a remarkable route runner. And, and he has that great receiver gift of not looking like he needs to run, you know, like an Olympic sprinter to be 10 yards open. You know, he, I mean, you know, we see, we've seen that for, with Thielen over the years. We saw it with Moss with the long stride. But Jefferson looks like he's outrunning people without trying hard, which is a, a remarkable gift. Yeah, and I guess, Ben, with Rodgers' finish, it was four straight touchdown drives yep. that he basically led, starting with that one right before the end of the first half. It, it was rare, I thought, to hear Mike Zimmer say, I wasn't going to trust my defense by putting him back out there at the end. Yeah, and I, I think Rodgers, both today and over the past uh, 16 or however many years it's been in Green Bay, <laughs> has probably earned the right to be feared on that level and certainly – uh, four touchdown drives the last four times he was on the field. Uh, I think the shortest of those was like 79 yards. So he had torched them the entire second half, and I could see why they didn't want to give him the ball back. Now, it looked right after he hits the touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling like they were going to give him the ball back when Cousins threw what appeared to be a pick to Darnell Savage until the replay review showed that he didn't land with the ball. If if that happens, the Packers have the ball on the 40-yard line basically with a chance to go win the game, I think it probably goes the other way. Now, that's putting a lot of faith in Mason Crosby to make a field goal, but maybe they wouldn't have even needed that. Yeah, the Vikings started this – well, I should say they ended this game with Patrick Peterson, Mike Zimmer afterward – almost feeling good about the way they played defensively, which is weird to say. Um, it's only because they got this win. Because, Ben, as you said, if Kirk would have – if that interception would have counted and they would have driven down to score, the Packers, that is, and you lost that game, you'd be looking at, what, five straight scoring drives yep. to end that game for Green Bay. And you'd be there would be a much different tone we're seeing about this Vikings defense. But they get Barr back. They get Harrison Smith back. They get Patrick Peterson back. Mike Zimmer had a bag of curveballs he was throwing Aaron Rodgers to start this game. Um, with keeping Bynum on the field to start, Harrison Smith as a slot defender, then as soon as that leads to a blown coverage, you never see Bynum again the rest of the game. Uh, Zimmer's throwing all kinds of blitzes at him. He empties the kitchen sink basically in that in that uh, second half, trying to get after him to the point where Rodgers just keeps torching him. That 75-yard touchdown was against the blitz. 18-yard touchdown to Adams was against the blitz. And Patrick Peterson said afterward, maybe we were too aggressive on defense. So it just seemed to be the case a little bit. Yeah, I just don't – and listen, part of it is because Rodgers is great, and if you lay back, he's going to find a way to beat you, and if you attack him, he's going to find a way to beat you. But it, it really did feel like Zimmer was really fearful of giving Rodgers any time and space, felt like he had to take it away from him, and Rodgers beat him anyway. I mean, didn't beat him in terms of the game outcome, but he beat that defense. I mean, 31 points 
And it would have been more if Rodgers had gotten the ball back with any time on the clock and overcoming a large deficit on the road with all the crowd. I mean, that was vintage Rodgers. He was great. Yeah, and, and with without his left tackle, without yeah. a couple of his receivers, without Aaron Jones. Yeah. Yeah, and Ben, I should mention, I guess the first of those four touchdown drives, basically the one right before halftime, was the time where Zimmer watched his defense get no pressure, and it was the 10-yarder to Adams where he yeah. kind of like pointed him into the open part of the end zone, scramble drill, easy throw. And so I guess you can see why Zimmer was trying to trying so hard to get pressure on the guy. Yeah, I mean, really the first two touchdowns, I think, is he hit the one to Josiah DeGuara where he rolled to his left and and that's kind of an extended play where I think he hit him for 25 yards on the touchdown. That's right. That was the one before halftime. Yep. Right. Yep. My bad. yep. Yep. But then the one to Adams, he basically was able to kind of direct traffic on the play. He kind of motions to Adams, come back inside. And, yeah, I mean, he he has made a living on those throws. The the play action throw he hits to, to Velda Scanling at the end, that, as I wrote, is the sort of quintessential Rodgers – home run throw that that post route over the middle we've I mean we've seen it with Jordy Nelson we've seen it with Greg Jennings we've seen it with certainly Devontae Adams Donald Driver I mean that that route and I think Rogers talked about it after the game has been part of their playbook forever so when he hits that yeah I, I can see why you're sitting there saying we don't want to give him the ball back because he's found ways to do this really since the the first few series of the game where he looked out of it, he looked like he was chasing home runs, you know, sort of some of the Aaron Rodgers things you see him do. Some of the ticks that aren't so good about his game were on display early, but once he got out of that, or at least had enough time to let the plays develop, he, they didn't have an answer for him. And I guess it speaks to maybe a problem they're going to have moving forward. And that Zimmer said this, they, they have to manufacture pass rush. Now you don't have, Daniel Hunter, part of what they did to manufacture it was actually move Sheldon Richardson to defensive end. Yep. Um, I know they've done that a little bit, but this was almost, it seemed like a full-time move uh, in this game. And he was doing really well for them. But without Hunter um, and then without Barr through certain stretches, their blitz packages have been different. And they've had to try to ch- change things up a little bit. And even Michael Pierce, the guy who had two sacks in that first game, um, doesn't give them that same push he has been up the middle because he's not there. And so they've had to find ways to adjust and I'm wondering how sustainable it's going to be to continue that pass rush up when you see in the second half like you did today. If you try to overdo it, you're going to get torched deep. Um, offensively, there was something that Kirk Cousins said afterward that, that scared me a little bit because he too he echoed Patrick Peterson in saying that maybe we were too aggressive at times. Um, Cousins was asked about that throw to Thielen down the left sideline just before the final game-winning field goal where it was like a fastball over Thielen's shoulder. He clearly wasn't expecting it, kind of caught it. An amazing catch by Adam, but Kirk said he, he would look at that back and probably not throw that and said that that was one or a few times maybe we were too aggressive in this game. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, don't fall back into that because that's how you kind of got to where you were at at a 3-5 and five start on the season. And that's the thing. If you're going to take shots downfield, sometimes the ball is going to be in play. It's just the way it is. And uh, I would rather see him – do what he did today and and throw fastballs and th- give Jefferson a chance and that's how you get to 34 points if you're careful then maybe they you know, maybe uh, he has fewer regrets about risky throws and maybe they score 23 points and lose anyway this was the the 385 yards were the most Aaron Rodgers has ever thrown for against the Vikings it was i think only the third time He's thrown for 300 yards, and the Packers have lost. The last time was the 
which is still one of my favorite games I've ever covered. The epic 2012 regular season finale where Adrian Peterson almost broke the record. That was a, a game very similar to this one where the Packers came screaming back and Rodgers is throwing darts all over the field and and uh, ultimately Christian Ponder <laughs> had the uh, the throw to end the game. But this performance should serve as a reminder of what Adam Thielen said this week, that this needs to be the formula going forward. It, I, I get that there are... There's a quarterback that's afraid of making mistakes. There's a coach that probably doesn't want to win this way. Sorry, guys. This is how you're built. You have the best young receiver in the NFL. You have a guy who's made multiple Pro Bowls as your your quote-unquote other receiver. I'm using air quotes here. You have a great running back. You have a quarterback who can push the ball downfield. Certainly has the arm strength to do it and is pretty accurate most of the time. So you beat Aaron Rodgers when you had everything, you got everything Aaron Rodgers had to throw at you, and you had enough to beat him because you were able to push the ball downfield. I thought there was a really revealing line by Mike Zimmer in this postgame presser where he also said, uh, I told Kirk, go something to the effect of go score touchdowns, let me back us off what I want us yeah. to do. That said to me a lot about basically there's, Two main characters in this play of being conservative, and one is Mike Zimmer and one is Kirk Cousins, which is we already knew that. But for yeah. Zimmer to put lip service to it and saying, like, not lip service, for him to actually say words to that effect and saying, I told Kirk, don't be conservative yourself. Let me do it. Well, so what do we make of that? I mean, because I, I talked about it, I think, a little bit this week on one of our other uh, podcasts that you know, Zimmer was kind of talking about that after the game last week, too. Of I, I told him to go be aggressive and. And that's great, and it's good that he's saying it, but it does speak a little bit to where we've gotten to that there's sort of this um, Zimmer has to create the permission structure for Cousins to go after it. So do we think that's just Cousins needing to be reminded of it, or do we think that there's been so much time of, hey, don't do that, that now we have to kind of move the, the, uh, uh, the standards back a little bit? I think both. I, I think, you know, I think there was a time when Zimmer wanted Cousins to be a game manager and win with defense in the running game. And I think Zimmer is now properly recognizing everything you just said, which is, this is now an offensive team with a great running back, great receivers, and really good pass catching tight end and fullback. I mean, they, they need to be throwing the ball, they need to push it downfield. And I also think that Cousins uh, realized last year that the interceptions he threw in the first six games cost this team a playoff berth, and he doesn't want that to happen again. So I do think it has flipped around where it's now Zimmer telling Cousins, let's go for it, whereas, you know, I'm not sure – I'm stumbling here. but So what I'm trying to say is that I think that Zimmer has realized just what Ben just said, which is he needs Cousins to be more productive – needs to take advantage of his weapons downfield if this team's going to win. And I think Cousins is still a little burned by what he went through last year. Guess he should have asked me what I thought sooner. Wait, You're what? always late asking us. <laughs> oh, asking us. Yes, yes. I, I would lean toward, um, Ben, what you're saying, I guess I would lean toward more just Kirk. This is his fourth year here, and I think he's – we've heard from current and former players on this team under Zimmer about how mistake-focused and negative – and just he can be. He can. He can. He can walk into a May 
June, August meeting and just have everything focused on all the bad and everything that they need to do better. And I'm not saying that all coaches don't do that, but didn't I think we hear that a, before 2019 where it was like, here's all the things that got us beat last year. Yeah. I think that was maybe that one was example like the we heard film yeah. thing in OTAs. And that was like in a, in a point in the off season where like, you just don't need to like undercut everybody like that. Anyway, Zimmer's just got a certain way about him and anybody watches his press conferences or knows him or hears him talk, it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. So with all that harping on negatives and mistakes, and I'm sure Kirk, like you said, Jim, last year heard it constantly about his mistakes early in the year and how it's led to them starting one and five in that year like they did. Um, that's got to take some some changing just mentally. And I guess, Ben, we're seeing now as this Viking season plays out, maybe there's an acceptance from Mike Zimmer and realizing that we're not going to win defensively by closing these things out. As much as Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer want to preach to these guys about, we got veterans here who were here when we used to be able to close out games. You're now in week 11, and I think they found out they can't close out games. No, they can't. And we've seen it so many times this year. Even when they had Daniel Hunter still on the field, they were having trouble with some of these things. And and we've seen – they were the healthier team today by far – and they still weren't really able to close the game out. They, they just aren't built to do that at this point. I don't know when the next time they will be built to do that is. So in the event that they go forward with this group, I think you're going to have to probably adapt the way you think about it to say we have to win this way because we're not built to go win games 27-13 to 13 or you know whatever low-scoring thing you want to talk about. They're just not constructed to do that, and it's going to take a long time, I think, before they're built to do that again. Yeah, and going forward is a good segue because the Vikings are somehow the sixth seed in the NFC playoff field right now, Jim. We saw the Saints lose. We saw the Panthers lose. The Vikings at 5-5 five and five are the number six seed, and somehow with uh, all these teams accruing multiple losses in the NFC, I'm not saying it's necessarily the Vikings game to be had in the playoffs, but... They're in the field right now. Yeah, and this 49er game's big. You know, I mean, they beat the 49ers. They're in great shape. They lose the 49ers, then they still have a lot of work to do. But also, they came into this four-game stretch against four contenders, and I felt like if they just won one of those three games, they were still going to be in it. They end up winning the last two games at Chargers, home against the Packers. I mean, this this is this gives them a, a real fighting chance. And now you look at the Bears, and the Bears are a mess, and the Steelers are a mess, and the Lions are horrible. Now, all of a sudden, I you know what I thought was a seven or eight win team going into the season has a chance to do a lot more than that if they play well. Yeah, I had a neighbor walk up to me the other day and say, "You still think they're going to be seven and ten? Because everybody's riding high off the Chargers win." And yeah, they, I can't imagine what he's going to say to me now after this Packers win. But yeah, I mean, this they're now at five and five. They are. Uh, set up to kind of, yeah, if they keep winning and, and winning some of these NFC games, certainly that are left on their schedule, we're looking at a wild card team at the very least, and who knows what can happen from there. Yeah, I, I think that you look at the situation right now, the teams they're competing with, it's mathematically the Saints, the 49ers, the Eagles, with you know probably a couple other teams kind of on the fringes of that. But who do you feel better about? I mean, the 49ers are interesting because they've looked terrible at times in the last couple of weeks. They've, well, they play the Jaguars today, but they beat the Rams and it's like, okay, this is more the team that we expected to see. So I'll be very curious next week. How do they stop Debo Samuel? What kinds of things does Kyle Shanahan have cooked up for his old buddy, Kirk Cousins? 
you know, all of that stuff is is going to be interesting to watch in that one next Sunday. But overall, I don't know who you'd say is in a better spot, at least in terms of offensive playmakers, which may be what this comes down to. Guys that can execute every week. I'm not sure which of those teams you would say is better equipped to do it than the Vikings. I believe the Vikings are 4-2 and two in the NFC. Yep. After yep. this game, that helps that, too. that's certainly better than some of the other teams they're competing against in that NFC wildcard hunt. We will be here to talk about it, break it all down moving forward. We'll talk to you Wednesday to preview the Vikings game in San Francisco, one that suddenly has playoff implications. Maybe you should get off the podcast.